0: Another episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I am joined by Ben Gutman from New York. He is a marketing entrepreneur and educator at Baruch College uh, in in marketing. Uh, He's a writer and he's about to release just next Tuesday uh, the book, Simply Put Clear Messages. why clear messages win and how to design them. Why clear messages win and how to design them. Uh, it is uh, with great pleasure that I invite Ben to the show. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Richard. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on here. I uh, absolutely love the book, as I was telling you before we came on. Um, and before we we dive into the central, simple message of the book, um, Could you give us a little bit of uh, your backstory when you first got interested in writing, and yeah, how you came to be in this this position
1: that you're in now? Certainly. So, um, for ten years, I ran a marketing agency. Uh, It was called Digital Natives Group. We had an office here in New York. Uh, We worked with a lot of great clients, but we started with like the local ice cream shop and the local camera shop, the local like real estate guy, and bit by bit over the course of uh, a course of a decade, we began to kind of punch a little bit bigger punch a little bit higher and eventually landed clients like the nfl and i Love new york and uh, the nature conservancy and uh comcast NBC, and all these wonderful brands uh and then about a year ago we sold the business uh it was a lot of fun it was a great ride but uh you know at a certain point you do something for for a decade and you kind of want to explore different things and one of those different things is i always had a curiosity about um, about why we do what we do, right? And that's kind of like, that brings us in, that, that's what marketing is, right? It's trying to get people to do certain things. Uh, and that's what I do also in the classroom when I am teaching at Peru College, but then that for about 10 years now too, is trying to tell my students how to do that, how to perform that magic trick. And so it's one of those things that is easy to know when you're in the environment when you're in a client meeting, whatever, like or, or working on a project, like what to do, you know, a lot of times your instincts kick in and, and, it, and your experience kicks in and you start to do it. But I was always curious why, and then how I can dissect, dissect that. So after we sold the business, uh, I took some time and I began investigating this question, which is why do some messages work when others don't? Why do some things move us to action? Why do some things stick in our brain? Why are some causes uh, uh, effective when other rallying cries uh, fall flat? And it turns out that the answer is simple. The messages that work are simple. And if that's enough for you, then that's great. Like, don't buy the book. Uh, But if you want to understand, like, what that means and what I what is more actionable in the second half of the book is the five principles about being simple and how to um, how to make use of them. That is a more interesting. Uh, that's an interesting kind of deeper topic, and that's how you end up with two hundred and eight pages about simplicity. Right. Yeah.
0: And and interestingly, there you mentioned moves people to act, action. So, yeah, give us your definition of simplicity, because I know that's included.
1: Yeah. So I define a simple message as something that is easily un- perceived, understood, and acted upon, and what that is is basically saying it's it's easier to take something from out in the world stick it into your head and make sense of it uh, and this operates as i looked into this i found out this operates on this idea that cognitive scientists call uh fluency and fluency you know the word fluency it, you know i know the word fluency we've all heard this a thousand times you'd be fluent in english or spanish or french or mandarin you could be fluent in cooking or chess or or you know football or whatever it is But what it actually means is that it's flowing. It says something is easy. And when psychologists psychologists and scientists talk about fluency, what they're talking about is, is it easy? Is it easy to perceive? Is it easy to make sense of? Easy to act upon? And it turns out when you look at the research across a host of different topics, that anything that is like that, that is easier to take from out in the world and stick in your head and make sense of, we like it better we're more likely to trust it we're more likely to buy it and the opposite is true also when something is harder for us to make sense of when something takes more mental energy makes us sweat a little bit more well by default we're a little bit less likely to like it less likely to trust it less likely to buy it and that's that's what we're looking at when we're talking about simplicity is how do you make something more fluent
0: right and and and, but it includes this idea of taking action, right, in your, in your world, right? It's not enough for it to just, because when I've, because that was what was interesting about your definition, right? I hadn't considered that it might, we
1: might include in the definition that it's, gonna, it's going to cause you to take action. Oh, definitely. Because that's what we, when we're communicating, largely there's two parts of it. There's an, that we want to inform or we want to persuade. If we want to persuade, we want people to take action. Right? We want people to buy our thing, We want people to vote for our candidate, donate to our cause, whatever it is. Uh, and th- that part of the equation is, is often why you're going to be hiring a marketing agency, why you're going to be you know, uh, uh, you know, out there knocking doors for your campaign, doing whatever it's going to be. Uh, and, and that also reminds me of this other piece that's kind of one of the foundational definitions there in the book. Where we look at senders and receivers, right? So I've been talking about, you know, buying, voting, donating, donating, all these different things. I, I went out of my way to simplify appropriately the two different categories, the two different roles that we play in any sort of communication equation. And this isn't revolutionary stuff, but it just helps us strip away some of the other things that might get in the way of, of, you know, looking at this analytically. I say that there are senders and there are receivers. The senders are the people who, again, might be the advertisers, might be the CEOs, might be the, um, you know, again, might be the politicians or the advocates or the parents or whoever. They're the people who have the message that want to you know, get it across. The receivers are the ones on the other end of the equation. They're the buyers and the donors and the voters and the politicians and the kids and whoever else is, um, is the target of the messaging. And if we, we strip everything away and we say the senders and receivers, we wear both hats during any conversation, like I'm sending now you're receiving vice versa. It, it makes, it makes everything a lot clearer that way. And it also gives us kind of the foundational mindset that we have to take with us for everything else, which is that the senders bear the cost of the communication, just like if you're sending a letter, you pay the postage. The sender has to bear the literal and figurative cost of the communication. It's a, it's about being more humble in your communication uh, when when you have that perspective. It's it's on me as the communicator, as the sender, to
0: make it as simple and easy as possible. Absolutely, so yeah, yeah, and and for me to be fluent. Um, And then you have these two categorizations of fluency, right? You talk about perceptual fluency and processing fluency.
1: Yeah, this is, depending on who you ask in, in the science there, they'll, they'll break down the idea of fluency into those two pieces. Perceptual fluency is largely about the, uh, can you read it and see it and, and, you know, do your senses pick it up? And I mentioned some studies in the book, which there's. Uh, examples of if you have text in like a blurry typeface right uh it is harder for somebody to see it it takes a little bit more work for them and that decreases the fluency and decreases all the other things that are the knock-on effects from them and on the processing fluency side it's about making sense of it right and so are using language that is uh more easily understood you know simpler language um are you are you avoiding kind of jargon are you voting all, all, all the things that that happened kind of in your head to make, make sense of the message.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And why do you think then, because I mean, so often in my, you know, my professional life or in my personal life, I will experience communication that is not fluent and where people are using complicated terms. Why is it, do you think as humans, we have this tendency to not speak simply?
1: Oh man, we have both internally and externally a whole host of reasons that that push us in the other way. Right. So we just saw that as a receiver, you value it. You value simplicity, right? We we can look at the science, we can look at the the efficacy of ad campaigns and everything else. And we see that simpler things work better. That's what we want. But when we're in the driver's seat, when we're sending, it's really hard. And there's a there's kind of a study, a series of studies from Leidy Klotz and his colleagues at uh University of Virginia that I meant that I a reference in there uh, that show what they call an additive bias whenever we are tasked with making changes to something to improve something quote unquote um, our first instinct for most of us is to add it's not to subtract we want to add more words we want to add more uh, stuff add more pages to our website Add more slides to our presentation all these things are the easy route for us because they're visible, right? We see them. It's just, we don't see removing things a lot of times. They do studies where they, uh, there's one that's kind of the foundational piece where they take this little like Lego structure and they set it up and they ask students to come by and adjust the Lego structure to make it be able to balance like a brick on top of it. And the easy solution, the proper solution that uses the fewest number of moves to do that is to remove one block. But instead, what most people do is they add four or five blocks to build another support for that structure. And they do the same type of experiment when they look at like a mini golf course, when they look at a vacation itinerary, when they look at um, even just kind of patterns of of squares or whatever, to ask somebody to say, hey, make this symmetrical or make this more efficient, make this whatever. The default is for us to add. It's a really, he has a book that came out uh, last year called Subtract. I recommend it. It's very good. And. So that's, that's one of the things that's going on in our head and on the outside in our workplaces, in our, uh, in everywhere else that we're, we're doing that type of, uh, messaging is we have a series is is what we see is a series of, um, structures that push us towards more, uh, there's evidence again of my addition, there's not evidence of my subtraction. People get awards for building a bridge. They don't really get so many awards for taking a bridge down. And that applies at like the resume level, that applies at the boardroom level, that applies in like the PR level is people will notice when you build something. They don't so much notice when you, you maintain something or when you, uh, when you remove something. And so there's that. But then it's also, it, it's, it's hard because it's scary a lot of times. We will use big words to hide behind we'll use extra language, extra fluff, extra paragraphs and slides and whatever, as a shield, because sometimes we're not so confident in either our own abilities, or in, um, or in what we're saying. And we just say, Hey, you know what, if I filibuster enough, if I talk long enough in this meeting, and I use a bunch of kind of buzzwords and, and throw stuff out there, the client will feel like they heard what I what they needed to see here without actually, you know, getting anything out of it. So it's internally it's tough externally. It's tough. And we have to intentionally work on, on becoming more, more, uh, more fluent, simpler in our messaging. Right. And there was
0: a couple of other things I picked up that this may have an evolutionary origin in us wanting to save for the winter, right? There's just something in us that wants to acquire
1: and and add to our pile uh, that goes pretty deep. Well, we, we, from, we're the same, Got kind of monkeys that have been around for two hundred and fifty thousand years, right? It, it we haven't changed that much. If you took, you know, our great 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 grandfather and you brought him here today, bring him to a doctor, it's the same person, right? But the uh, the world in which we live in and which we operate in is a lot is a lot different. If you look back a few hundred thousand years, you know, a lot of things wanted to eat us, and we we need, and you know, we don't know where the next. Uh, you know, where the next hunt is going to come from. If we look back even a few thousand years, we'll say, Oh, you know what? There's going to be some famine in the village and we don't know um, if we're going to be able to, to survive. And so we lived in a, a world of great uncertainty for a very long time. And this, you know, this, uh, plays out in something like our messaging. This is the same type of, um uh, this is the same type of thing that plays out. When you look at like why we like sweet things a lot is because we only had sweet things so much, right? If you went and you got that berry or that apple, um, that was like, oh wow, this is like a rarity. I need to get a lot of it, and so you would we would stockpile that, yeah. and uh, and that's why today when you walk by in the in the grocery store and you see a candy, you're like, ooh, I want more of that, and so you have more candy. So that same mechanism plays out in, in our messaging and in the way in any in any place which we we want to uh, uh, collect things and aggregate things. Um, is that we stockpiling and, and adding is, is, is our base nature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, what I also found interesting was that when researchers gave people mission and said, Oh, by the way, it's okay to take things away. Like people were more likely to then take a subtractive approach.
1: Oh yeah. So that, that's the, that's the other side of the coin in that, in those like Lego studies or those, um, those different ones I mentioned from Lighty Clotch is as soon as you tell somebody that it's an option, the the responses uh, skyrocket in terms of saying, "Oh, you know, oh, I guess I could remove." Uh, it's because of this idea of availability. Uh, and think of it like if you open up a closet, the things that are most available to you that you see are the things you're going to go and wear. Right? You're going to wear that shirt that's right in front of you, as opposed to digging through the back of your closet, opening up some bins, and figuring out something that's you know been hiding there for years that is less available less accessible and so you're less likely to use it in the same way if you make so addition is always visible right you can always you can always see the results of it but if you make subtraction visible uh and you make it available then we're more likely to pick that pick up that tool in our mental toolbox and use it
0: yeah and i was thinking how any one of us could give ourselves consciously att- give ourselves that permission, right? When we're looking to send that email to a boss or to, you know, a team member or whatever, it's like, can I give myself permission to take 50 words out of this or, or whatever it might be? I mean, I
1: think that's a great idea, right? I think that if you make that part of your workflow and you say, um, hey, we're going to, you know, before I send the email, can I remove a sentence from it, right? And I, I've known people that have had, I've been guilty of this too, put a lot of exclamation points in an email sometimes just because it feels more friendly. And you do that, and then you go back through and you remove a couple of them because you're saying, okay, well, this is this this is too many exclamation points. But I, I think that same model could work with a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, and as I was reading that,
0: I mean, just generally what came out of the book was when I think about the success of Twitter, I suppose no at X's, yeah, is be, because it forced everybody right into a level of fluency. Is that is that would that be your you know hypothesis here?
1: Yeah. You know, there's a a quote that's often misattributed to Mark Twain, which I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short one. Uh, And Twitter, when it was launched, had a limit of 140 characters, which was actually a technical limit because it was originally an SMS platform. But I don't know how many people remember that, but it was originally built as a group text messaging platform. So the idea was you had 18 characters, for the username, you had a colon and you had a space. And all of a sudden, you get that's those are 20 characters. And they had 140, and 160 characters makes up what the data limit is on SMS, uh, which if you go all the way back to what it is. So it was this physical constraint in the world. And then that ended up uh, kind of echoing down to what the platform ended up being with 140 characters. And in that small canvas, we saw. A lot of people develop entirely different ways of communicating, right? You saw like the hashtag was a user-generated thing, the at symbol was a user-generated thing, the RT, which became retweet, was a user-generated thing, and all of those um, tools, plus obviously the like kind of the writing style, the more kind of staccato, um, uh, uh, stoic, like not so much stoic, but austere kind of writing style that makes mm. sense in Twitter. Uh, shaped a lot of the rest of the language that we use in the web today uh twitter eventually a few years ago bumped it up to 280 characters which people complained about it first but then eventually they realized that's probably a little bit better because sometimes the the constraints can be too too much right and i talk about that in the same chapter which is a little bit of constraint and a lot and like no constraint are both equally uh bad because a little right. bit of const- if you have too much too much constraint on your time you have a deadline, you give me a deadline for something and it's due tomorrow. We say, well, shit, I don't have time to to do this. I'm just going to copy and paste something else that I, you know, that I did before. I'll use a template. I'll do whatever the easy thing is. If you tell me that the deadline is in a year from now, well, that's not my problem. That's future Ben's problem, right? I, I don't have to deal with that. And so, you know, the middle, the middle ground kind of the medium amount of pressure is, is, um, the studies show that, uh, that is where we are most creative, most productive. And so that applies to something like Twitter, right? So, something like two hundred eighty characters actually ended up being kind of the the most um, most productive platform for it, or most productive uh, model for the platform. And now the whole the whole company's falling apart. So it's a whole different environment. Uh, They they increased the character count to several thousand, and you know lots of other things are are going wrong over there. Uh, But I I think I think that we do we do lose something when we don't have that type of um, that type of tool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um the,
0: the other thing that you you signed the book which I enjoyed was you know our um you know the Dunning-Kruger effect and our our, our tendency as human beings to overestimate our our ability you know t- talk to that a little bit and how it applies to to writing.
1: Oh yeah. So uh the Dunning-Kruger effect is kind of this famous um uh, overestim- overestimation uh Problem pit that we fall into, uh, and I also relate it there to the um, uh, the illusion of explanatory depth, which is this other idea, which which goes back to saying, um, well, you know, I think I know something, but until I explain it, I don't. I realize that I don't really know it. So the study, the studies that found it, you know, that established this idea, they asked people like, how does a flush toilet work? How does the Supreme court work? How does the, od- the odometer in your car work? And everybody writes says, oh, I know, I understand that these things work. And they write down, you know, I nine out of 10, I believe I, I understand it. And then they say, okay, well go write it out, you know, go, go write a memo explaining how the flush toilet works. And everybody goes and they, they do that and they can't do it and because we understand, we, we think we understand a lot of things. We don't actually understand, uh, nearly as much as we believe we do. And so after they write down that, uh, that description of how the toilet works, they come, the researchers come back and say, okay, well, how much uh, now do you believe it, it actually works? Or how, much, how, much, how well would you rate your knowledge right now with this, uh, of this tool? And everybody decreased their understanding. Uh, and, and anybody who's been in a classroom or has written something or has had to give a presentation to a colleague uh, Will understand like this is an example of you don't really know something until you have to teach it. Yep. And, then, and then you start to understand it. Uh, so, the Dunning Kruger effect is another example of this, of our overestimation uh, of ourselves. And we were talking a little bit before the call about the statistic, which you love in there, uh, which is 12% of, of British men think that they can take Serena Williams uh, in a tennis match. They think that they can score a point on her, uh, which also happens to be the same percentage of American men. That believe they could take a wolf in a fight uh so a lot of us believe things that about ourselves that aren't 100 true and all of this this whole section by the way is part of the the first chapter in the book which is our stupid brains and our busy world and the idea mm-hmm. is we have these flawed mushy you know um uh, year old brains which are really good at certain things but they're not so good at other things and this is all about making the case for uh, for why simplicity is is a necessary uh, a necessary principle for our communication
0: right right and and so we and, and so this applies to presumably we we think we're great communicators, we think we're great senders, but we're not nearly as good at sending a message and having that being a message being understood and, and, and likely to be acted upon as we, as we think we are.
1: It's- oh, uh, certainly. Yeah. The, uh, one, one of the principles in the book, I talk about empathy and the way I, I define it in this context is are we speaking the same language as the receiver? Are we, uh, literally using words that, that make sense to us and make sense to them? Are we meeting them where they are in terms of their emotions, their, their state, their, uh, their motivations? And the best way to do that is often to kind of get out of your bubble and, and test your messaging. Because we are all in our, in our own little bubbles. We think we, we aren't. And there's a host of different studies. Some made it into the book. Some didn't make it into the book. Where you look at different researchers and they say, well, okay, well, um, you know, there's one for the one I think that didn't make it in that was about Yahoo. Uh, and I'm going to butcher some of the numbers on it, but uh, Yahoo was having problems with its with some of its software. People weren't liking it, and so they asked people, you know, to go test it. And all the internal testers gave it great, high reviews because they're like, "Oh, Yahoo is great." Uh, and all the external testers gave it bad reviews, right? And and well, you know what? Because you're in the bubble, it's like my team, your team. I, I I you know I I'm waving the flag for it. I understand it. Everybody else should understand it. We we do a pretty pretty bad job of understanding other people uh and to the point before we overestimate our the uh the extent to which we understand other people we have to go talk to them right we have to uh you can do things like go hire a marketing agency and do a big giant uh focus group and all this other stuff or you can just do something as simple as leaning over to somebody uh who you know might work in your office who's like your target market or finding somebody that you know that um that you know, if you're targeting, you know, men ages 65 plus, go find your grandpa, you know, and go talk to them. It's, they're going to have a better, they're going to have better insight than just talking to the other 20 or 30 year olds that you're working with.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah, assuming some humility, uh, it sounds like there was a couple, a couple of hacks here that are emerging for me, right? One is asking myself that question. Can I make this shorter? Yeah. How can I, you know, can I make this shorter and, and can I test this? Right. Yeah. Who can I test this up?
1: And so the shorter thing is interesting. So the the other, one of the other principles in the book is about, is minimal. And that's the, that's at the end of the book. And it's on purpose there because it's about, is it everything you need, but only what you need? Mm. It's not about just cutting things out for the sake of cutting them out. Uh, What a lot of folks, Think and this is probably the biggest misconception when I talk about simplicity is it's not about having the fewest number of words or sentences or paragraphs or pages or whatever. It's about having the least amount of friction, Uh, and this is something that comes from like a user experience background, which is it's often. Let's say you're doing a survey. It's it's more effective if you're designing a survey that has several different pages on it and only has a couple questions per page than one giant page that has all these different pieces on it because people will look at that and say oh this is daunting i don't want to go do this so that's an example of more pages makes for a more effective survey you see this on um you see this on e-commerce sites right where it's like okay we're going to go for several steps to get through you know instead of putting in your credit card and your address and your discount code and everything else on the same page, often it'll be kind of a step-by-step process depending on where you are. Uh, So you wanna reduce friction because every piece of friction is another opportunity for somebody to take that off ramp, to go and say, I'm gonna go do something else. I I don't wanna pay attention to your message. I don't wanna listen to your talk. I don't wanna go watch your ad. The average American spends 13 hours a day consuming some form of media and in that time, is going to experience thousands of ads and messages and warnings and uh, slogans just blasted into their brain. And there's plenty of things that we can pay attention to that we are ready, willing and able to, provided that our message you know provides if our, if our message gives a little bit of friction, it's a reason for me to go, "You know what whatever I'm going to go over here now." and so that's what we want to. To minimize as much as possible is the moments where uh, it becomes disfluent where it becomes harder for us to um, uh, to take in the message and uh, and so that you know shorter is correlated with simpler often, but it is not actually it, it's not the thing that's at the base level that we're always looking at
0: yeah to optimize. yeah, that makes sense so more more fluid, not necessarily shorter or more fluent not necessarily shorter yeah yeah i can see that um okay so so we're starting to get a little bit into you know how to write simple messages and you alluded earlier to these these principles maybe we should should lay those out for people who are like okay i get it all of my messages suck (laughs) (laughs) how can i write simple messages
1: ben yeah that's a good idea. Uh, so I've, I've hinted at a couple of them, right? We had yeah. uh, minimal. We just talked about, we talked about empathy. The five principles that when you look at uh, what makes for a simple message, what doesn't, the more you operate on these, the better you're going to be. Uh, the first one is beneficial, which is what does it matter to the receiver? What's in it for them? Uh, are, are you talking about benefits, not about features? Focused is the second one. Are you trying to say one thing or are you trying to say multiple things at once? Is this one idea? Is this three ideas in entrenched code? The more focused you are, the more effective you're gonna be. Three is salient. Salient is, uh, does it rise to your attention? Does it stick out? Does it stand out? Is it noticeable? Um, and this is often about like, when everybody else is zigging, are you zagging, right? That's what we're talking about with salience. Uh, fourth one is empathetic. Are you speaking in the language that the audience understands? Are you meeting them where they are? And the last one is minimal, which I just talked about. Have you cut out everything you don't, you don't need and kept just what is essential?
0: Right, right. And and, then, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think about my own tendency as well. Is I, I don't go to benefits first, and you've said that first. You know, I, my, my immediate thing is, I've got this thing and I want to tell you about it, right? And I want you to be interested in this thing I want to talk about. Yeah. It's like last on my list is on how the, how this, yeah. Oh it yeah. Well, doesn't it, to get, it seems like, again, it's a human tendency to not think initially about the benefit for the other person.
1: Oh yeah. Well, the, the thing is we, we don't, we don't buy features, we buy benefits, right? This is the, mm. anybody who's ever been in sales or marketing that's like the first thing that gets beaten into your, your head at some point. Um, but it has to be beaten into your head because it's not intuitive a lot of times. Yeah. The, the way we experience the world is we crack open our five senses and we say, okay, well, this thing is is red. It is this size. It is makes this noise, and it's got you know, like this car has leather seats, right? All of these things are true, and people may appreciate them. But those are all features, right? Like you could talk about a uh, you talk about a car, right? You say, well, the car has leather seats. The car is heated. Seats. Um, it's got it's got bright headlights, it's got this many horsepower, all of those things are, are certainly important, at some point in the purchase process, in the decision making process. But what attracts people is not the thing, but it's what the thing does for them. Uh, And I, I center this chapter around a quote from a like legendary Harvard marketing professor from the 20th century, uh, Theodore Levitt. And what he said and i tell this to my students every semester i say if you remember nothing else from our class from and from your entire degree here remember this sentence which is people don't want a quarter inch drill they want a quarter inch hole they don't want a quarter inch drill they want a quarter inch hole we don't want the thing we want what the thing does for us right nobody has ever really wanted the drill they really want what the dr- they want the hole and you can actually take that a bit further and you can say well i don't really want the hole i want the picture up on the wall and i don't want the picture up on the wall i want to see my family and feel love and belonging and you can go several layers deep on this the drill is the feature the the hole is the benefit and if you um if you just kind of ask that question which is a show so what Uh, every time you're talking about a feature if you're talking about the new iphone you know i just got this in the mail a couple days ago and it's like okay it's got these beautiful cameras So what, you know, it's like, oh, well, that means that I can take better photos and save my memories of, you know, like my kid at preschool or something like that, that that's what they're selling. They're not selling you like a better camera. They're selling you, you know, sharper memories, right? They're not selling you a faster processor. They're selling you the, the, the joy of playing a video game on that phone. That ends up being, you know, that, that you couldn't do before. Uh, And so. You can even, if you wanted to go even further in this and I put it in the, that chapter, there's, there's functional benefits and there's emotional benefits. And the functional benefits are the first level of your, of what changes in the world, right? Let's talk about heated, you know, let's talk about like toothpaste, for instance. Um, if toothpaste, the feature is, it has got minty, you know, minty flavor. Okay, great. You can go and you gotta have your ad. You can say it's minty flavor and that's fine, but that's not going to sell any toothpaste. If you say, well, so what, Why, what matters is minty D, D flavor? Well, it means that your breath is fresh. Okay, great. That's getting a little bit closer. That's a benefit. My, the functional benefit in the world is that my, I have fresh breath. And then you say, well, so what? You ask it again. And you know, well, that goes, well, that's going to get to the emotional benefit, which is the more intangible piece. And it's, well, if I have fresher breath, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do better on my date tonight, right? I'm going to, like, the girl yeah. is going to be happier to be around me is their fresh breath. And so that's what you're really selling when you're talking about when you're talking about um minty toothpaste, you're you're selling someone having a better date tonight. You're not so much selling them on, you know, what flavor of spearmint or whatever is on the toothpaste.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense and I liked your um your formula there instead of this
1: and that. It's it's this so that. I thought that was. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and I, I put right, that in right. the um the focus chapter, which was uh, it's a really good tool to kind of interrogate your your messaging, which is look at your ands and try to swap them of the word so. And you can do this with the word because you can use this word however or anything else that's kind of causative. I use the word so because I think it's the broadest one, is Instead of saying this and that, you say this, so that from strategy and tactic, the strategy so tactic. And I just, I, every time I, am, I talk about this, I always use the word and in it and I have to go back and like make sure that I don't, I don't say the word and in my own description. The reason it's important is because and can tie together a lot of things that don't necessarily make sense or that, that aren't totally related. And it sounds like a proper grammatically correct english sentence to say well i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and i'm going to do this meanwhile they may not actually logically make sense together they may not have that kind of benefit you know uh, feature benefit type relationship so what you want to look at is replacing the word and with so because if you put the word so in there and it doesn't make sense well then you know your a red flag is going to go up in your head it's going to say hey This maybe isn't as logically sound as I thought it was going to be. The story doesn't make sense anymore. And you're able to look at that and make, uh, make changes accordingly to it. And and could you give an example of that? Well, I think I used in the book, it was the, the, you know, we want to increase repeat visits to our coffee shop and we're going to launch a collectible, um, a collectible mug collection. Okay. That sounds like it could maybe make sense. But then, actually, if I say we're going to increase visits to our coffee shop, so we're going to launch a collectible mug collection, you say, "Well, I, I actually don't know if that strategy yeah. matches that tactic as much because those that does. If I collect the mug once, do I have to come back again for it? And so, if you swap it to I'm gonna, I want to increase repeat visitors to my coffee shop, so I'm going to increase I'm going to implement a loyalty point system. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. That that ties in from the beginning to the end.
0: Right. Right. And I, I was I was thinking okay, so yeah, that makes sense. I, and I was actually thinking about using it with the benefits, right? I've got oh that works too, yeah. This 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 feature so that you can yeah, attract more mm-hmm. women, right? Or whatever or guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a great one. That's a great one. So yeah, you could you could do and just spitball in here, talk about the the toothpaste. You could say, well, you have minty breath, you know, and um you know and you have fewer cavities. Well, okay, that's fine. Those are both maybe true, but you have minty breath, so you have fewer cavities. Actually, doesn't make as much sense. You say mint, yeah. minty breath, so that you can, you can have a more successful date tonight.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. And you've got you've fewer cavities, so you don't have to spend so much on dentists.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, and then there's salient, right? We're swimming against the, the tide. What, what's, um, yeah, how do we approach creating salient messages?
1: The tool that I use in the salient chapter that I think is the most kind of high leverage, effective way to do this is to embrace constraints. And we talked about Twitter before, right? So Twitter, when they had 140 characters is a great constraint. You're able to do things in that frame, uh, because of that frame that you wouldn't a- be able to do otherwise, because it's pushing you in a certain direction. And the idea of constraints means that you're putting some sort of boundary on your your work and your brainstorming and or in your output. And you're saying, well, it has to be, it could be in time, it can be in space, it could be with your tools. Um, you could, you know, I mentioned the the little, the medium amount of pressure. That's a, a good way of doing it. Uh, the interesting thing about um, about salience and about, about about constraints is sometimes the constraints can be the ceiling but also other times the constraints can be the floor. Uh, if you say, hey, you know, I, I want you to write a book using only 50 words in it. Well, that sounds like that's really tough. Well, Dr. Seuss did that and he wrote um, Green Eggs and Ham, which became you know, this best-selling book of all time using just a list of 50 words. On the other hand, you could say, well, I wanted you to do 100 different slogans. I wanna do 100 different uh, product descriptions. And at that point, You run out of the cliche, you run out of the easy stuff at a certain point, and it starts to push you in a direction that is going to be off the, um, you know, past the groove. It's not even on the same creative groove. And both of those end up resulting in in creating stuff that is different. And the difference, the salience is important because we don't notice anything but difference. All of all of our vision, all of our, our audio perception is contrast. We notice the figure on the ground and you have to be something that is, that is standing out from that background in, in, uh, uh, in your messaging, in your creativity, in your output, in order for it to stand out against those thousands and thousands of other options that we have.
0: So is it something like use a set of constraints that others are unlikely to be bound by? And then you're more likely to create something that's unusual.
1: That's a great way to put it. And, you know, exa- another example of something being salient because it's different uh, is, you know, if you look on the bookshelf, right? Like my book's going to live on a, um, the marketing shelf of a bookstore. But if you go take a couple steps over and you look at like the self-help section, every other book in the self-help section has some curse word in the title now, right? It's, uh, you know, yeah. the subtle art of not giving a fuck, all these different things. And that worked really, really well for a while. When every book before it was just some kind of broad platitudes, you know, like the happy, you know, life book, whatever, something like that, that's kind of meaningless. The, but when you go and you say something that's different, that by allowing yourself to, to use curse words by changing the, the game that you're playing, well, then everybody uh, will notice your book because it's going to be different. And those books sold like hotcakes, all these different, you know, curse word books still great. But then, everybody else starts doing it. And that has a little thus lost a little bit of its luster, right? Every other book now has the word, you know, this or that in the title. And we're less likely to notice those as we, as we were just kind of a generation ago, not even a generation ago, as we're half a decade ago. Yeah. Um, you know, the super bowl over here a few years ago, they had a, uh, they had, so Coinbase had a bouncing QR code on the screen, right? Right. And in a spectacle that is full of celebrities and animals and jokes and comedians and whatever it is to have a black screen that just has a QR code bouncing around on everybody froze. Everybody said, this is what is this? And they scanned it to the point where the app crashed and wow. it won awards and this and that it got so much earned media because of it. Then the next year comes by, earlier this year, and every single commercial has some sort of QR code in it. And so nobody cares anymore, right? So you have to you have to do something that's going to be different in order for, for it to stand out.
0: Yeah, and I see that there. So they gave themselves a constraint. Okay, oh, no, no faces, no other video, just a black screen, right? And yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I said I mean they said, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, you're you're kind of forcing yourself into a, a new necessity, right? A new a new mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh and applying that, yeah, to your to your own creativity. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um yeah, empathy, I suppose we've already talked about that a bit. You know, try this out with your granddad, uh if 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 that's the yeah, the demographic you're trying to hit. Um yeah, is that it, what else to say on empathy? Empathy.
1: I, I would say the other thing in empathy is you want to speak to one person as much as you can, uh, because y- you can't really speak to a crowd because crowds don't really exist. Um, you could be in a crowd, but the crowd is not so much a single conscious entity. Anytime you've made a decision, even if you've been in the audience of a big sales pitch or whatever, you made it in your own head. You made it from the single receiver to this from the single sender to it. Uh, and so as much as you can, when you're talking about um, giving a presentation, when you're talking about writing an ad and designing your website, whatever it is, you want to be writing for one person. You want to be designing for one person. It's the it's best if you know exactly who that person is. If you go and you, you hire an agency and you get personas and do all these different things, but you can also just... Take a piece of paper, a little post-it note, and draw a stick figure on it, and stick it on the side of your monitor, and pretend like you're writing to that person, uh, because that shifts you into a mindset that will will be more authentic than the everybody you know big broadcast. This and that nobody really wants that. Everybody wants the personal connection.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot. I can think of. I can think. Of, I think think of a couple of yeah writing. Tasks I've got right now where that would make a difference. And I can actually imagine myself, you know, with that avatar stuck on my screen. Yeah, that seems really, yeah, practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the importance of just one, right? And then I suppose mm-hmm. the, the fear might come up for people. Oh, yeah, but what if I miss this person or miss that person? And then I'm not going to appeal to this type of it's, it's You're saying it's better just to focus on one, even at the cost of potentially missing some other.
1: You can't be everything to everybody, right? Um, the word "priority" is singular. It means before everybody else, and so at some point, you have to figure out who is your primary audience. Who? What is your priority? the, the thing that you want to say to them first. Uh, and you know, when when I talk to clients, sometimes like they're doing a website, and they'll say, "Well, we," you know, I, I, one of the first questions is, "Who's your audience? Who are the different audience buckets that come here?" And there's always going to be. primary audience and there's going to be a secondary and yeah and maybe a tertiary level of of audiences you want to design your website you want to design your presentation for the one person and the one therefore type of person that makes the most sense what's the action you want to get out of them and and you work backwards from there uh people people will understand that if you're a you know what i will talk about website stuff is the secondary or tertiary level of of audience for a website might be prospective employees or might be like government regulators or might be um, media. Everybody in those buckets understands that they are not the primary audience for a certain piece of communication. If you're a job seeker and you, you wanna go work at IBM or whatever, IBM is, I'm, and I didn't look at their website before this, but they probably don't have a big fat call to action button in the middle of their, their website saying, go work at IBM, right? It's probably about some product that they're offering. Uh, and, uh, same thing, you know, Amazon is you know, in the us here. They just launched some big, you know, antitrust thing for, it. so regulators are looking at Amazon, but their main audience is not regulators. The main audience is shoppers. And so if you can go down you can go get their financial disclosures or whatever, somewhere deep in the footer, but you know, that, that is not the primary thing which they want to communicate.
0: Yeah. 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 It makes sense.
1: And then the final one minimal. And so we've made that
0: distinction. It's not necessarily shorter. It's about eliminating friction. Anything else to say on that?
1: I, I think that that's the other big takeaway that if anybody, ta- if anybody who reads the book or listens to our conversation here is the, is, you know, minimize your friction. That's one. And then before I said the sender having the responsibility for the communication. The other thing I always want, I, I and I ended with this in the book, uh, which is how does your message actually look and that? Cause that's, that's an important point of friction for a lot of, uh, a lot of messages, even if it is words that we're talking about, it is going to be likely consumed through your eyes at some point. It's gonna be on your website, in a magazine, you know, in a press release, whatever it is, even in an email, all these things are coming in through our eyes. So we have to, uh, make use of, of the latest you know, understanding of how we process things that way. And this hasn't actually changed that much in the past 25 years. If you look at studies of how we read on the web, we don't read like we read in a book, right? We don't go from the top corner to the bottom corner. We skim around, we jump from a headline to another headline. It's kind of like the letter F, right? We go this way and maybe we find something and we go down the page Maybe we find the section that's relevant to us. And we go in there or. Will jump around and say, "Hey, you know, what? I'm looking for a phone number. I'm looking for a name. I'm looking for an address." Mm. And so I look for things that are shaped like that in there. Uh, and this is all of us. We, we don't. None of us will read every single word on a web page. And um, in, in terms of advertising, none of us even see most advertising on a web page. We have ad blockers. That's number one. But also we have what's called banner blindness, which if we see something that looks like an ad, we just kind of skip right over it. We don't do any processing of that whatsoever. So it's important that you use things like bullet points and poll quotes and headlines and and bold and italic and all these different tools that we have in order to make your message more visually understandable. Right. Yeah. And and ensure contrast is right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: It's super important. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that feels like we've we've had a really good tour, yeah, of, of the book. And I just got a ton of insight, you know. Layered on top of having also read, simply put. So, yeah, really appreciate that. Is there anything you might have expected me to ask or touch on that you haven't spoken about, Ben?
1: Oh, this has been a ton of fun. I really appreciate the, you know, being so thorough and and digging into it. I had a ton of fun writing this book. It was uh, a really insightful, um, really insightful process. I learned a lot as part of it. uh, And I hope that it's going to be something that'll be useful to uh, everybody else that gets a chance to read it in just a few days.
0: Yeah, did you ever have any moments where you're like, "I wish I'd known that when I was working at the agency"? Was there like, oh, absolutely, hundred percent, right? I mean, all, all the time. Uh, what was your biggest I, I, moment of that nature where you're like, "Oh shit, I wish I'd known oh, this like man. ten years um, ago"?
1: You know, it, there's not so much a single moment. It's more that every single time that you go through and you find some really good examples of something, you say, "Oh, I wish I came up with that one," right? You, right. Uh, okay. You know, it's it's a constant. Uh, it, it's kind of a constant drumbeat of saying, okay, well, now the next time I do something, it's going to be, it's going to be even better. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Okay. Well, thanks again. It's again, the book is out next Tuesday. We'll put a we'll put a link so people you know can can go. I guess pre order it on or, or know where where to find it when it comes out. Um, there's also your website, uh, Ben Gutman, double T, double N. <laughs> uh, so uh, people, but bengutman.com, right? Yep. Yep. And there's your newsletter on there, Three Simple Things newsletter, um, which looks like you're getting an app. You're not getting an app. You're getting a newsletter <laughs> instead of actually for which I'm sure is awesome. Um, so yeah, they, that, that's the. They can go and get more from you there. They can get the book. Is there anywhere else you'd, you'd send send them?
1: Yeah, so the website's the best thing. Email, I've been prioritizing that more over the past um, couple of years. The, uh, otherwise, LinkedIn is the best place to get me. You can go follow me or connect with me on there. Um, just, again, Ben Gutman. Uh, yep. And if there's anything I can do to help, if anybody has more questions about the book, feel free to shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks once again. Um, this has been awesome. Thanks for the book. Awesome. It's, I've I've learned a ton, so really appreciated it.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Richard. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. The Being
0: Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.